Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Rejected Sorcerer by Jorge Luis Borges, uh, published in English uh, for the first time uh, in Fantastic Universe, uh, March 1960. Um, do you happen to remember the uh, Spanish name and the meaning difference between The Rejected Sorcerer and the original Spanish? Uh, the uh, it's Brujo um, Postergado. Postergado. And Brujo, um, you could define it as sorcerer if you want. Bruja is usually defined in English as witch. Mm. That's the common word. Brujo is used less frequently, uh, Warlock, even in maybe? Spanish. A big pardon? Warlock, maybe. Well, yeah, but there's nothing. Uh, uh, <laughs> It just means it means a supernatural guy. I mean, sorcerer isn't a bad translation. Postergado means slighted, mm. as in uh, um, he didn't pay appropriate respect to me. Um, so he was a slighted sorcerer rather than a rejected sorcerer in the mm. title. But in terms of what the story actually says, it turns out that there's not uh, a significant uh semantic difference in, well, in my opinion i'm but thinking about it now just not just at the moment i'm starting to wonder which of the characters in the story is the one referred to in the title <laughs> oh i, I see think what i mean i think it's don Alon. uh but but okay you know what maybe since it's a short story perhaps i'll read it and then we can we can probe the the meaning of the the two main characters sounds good Okay. In Santiago, there once was a dean who had a consuming desire to learn the art of magic. He heard that Don Ilan of Toledo was more versed in it than anyone else, so he set out for Toledo to find him. The day that he arrived, he went directly to Don Ilan's house and found him reading a book in a room set apart from his home. The latter received him with goodwill and bade him put aside the motive of his visit until after eating. He showed him to pleasant quarters and told him he was very pleased by his arrival. After the meal, the dean disclosed to him the reason for his visit and requested that he instruct him in the science of magic. Don Ilan, or Ian, if you give it the true Spanish pronunciation or Castellano pronunciation, Don Ian told him he had divined that he was a dean a man of good position and good fortune, but that he feared that afterward he would be forgotten by him. The dean gave his promise and his assurance that he would never forget the favor and that he would always be at his service. With the matter now arranged, Danian explained that the magic arts could be learned only in a remote place and taking him by the hand led him to an adjoining room on the floor of which there was a large um, iron ring. He then told the servant girl to prepare partridges for supper, but not to put them on to roast until he was so requested, until he so requested. Between them, the two men pulled up on the iron ring and descended so far along a carved stone stairway that it seemed to the dean that the very riverbed of the river Tajo must be over their heads. At the foot of the stairway, there was a cell and then a library and then a sort of study containing instruments of magic. 
they began to go through the books and were engaged in this when two men entered with a letter for the dean written by his uncle, the bishop, who made it known to him that he was very sick and that he should not delay in coming if he wished to find him alive. This news greatly annoyed the dean on the one hand because of the suffering of his uncle and on the other because it meant interrupting his studies. He chose to write his apologies, which he sent to the bishop. Three days later, some men in mourning arrived carrying other letters for the dean in which it was learned that the bishop had died, that a successor was being elected, and that it was hoped through the grace of God that the dean himself would be elected. They said also that he should not trouble himself to come since it seemed preferable that he be elected in absentia. Ten days later, there arrived two pages in rich dress who threw themselves at his feet and kissed his hand and greeted him as bishop. When Danian saw these things, he approached the new prelate with great joy and told him that he praised God that such good news should have come to his house. Then he requested the vacant deanship for one of his sons. The bishop made it known to him that he had reserved the deanship for his own brother, but that he had decided still to treat him favorably and that they should depart together for Santiago. The three went to Santiago, where they were received with honors. Six months later, the bishop received messengers from the pope, who was offering him the archbishopric of Tolosa, leaving in his hands the naming of his successor. When Danian heard of this, he reminded him of the former promise and requested the title for his son. The archbishop made it known to him that he had reserved the, the bishopric for his own uncle, his father's brother, but that he had decided still to treat him favorably and that they should depart together for Tolosa. Danian had no choice but to accept. The three went to Tolosa, where they were received with honors and masses. Two years later, the archbishop received messengers from the pope, who was offering him the office of cardinal, leaving in his hands the naming of his successor. When Danian heard of this, he reminded him of the former promise and requested the title for his son. The cardinal made it known to him that he had reserved the archbishopric for his own uncle, his mother's brother, but that he had decided still to treat him favorably and that they should depart together for Rome. The three went to Rome, where they were received with honors, masses, and processions. Four years later, the Pope died, and our Cardinal was elected to the papacy by the others. When Danian heard of this, he kissed the feet of his holiness, reminded him of the former promise, and requested the cardinalship for his son. The Pope threatened him with imprisonment, saying to him that he knew quite well that he was nothing more than a sorcerer, and that in Toledo he had been a professor of magic arts. The unhappy Danian said that he was going to return to Spain, and he asked him for something to eat along the road. The Pope refused the request. Then Danayan, whose face strangely had become younger, said in a firm voice, well then, I'll have to eat the partridges I ordered for tonight. The servant girl appeared and Danayan told her to put them on to roast. With these words, the Pope found himself in the subterranean cell in Toledo, nothing more than Dean of Santiago, and so ashamed of his ingratitude 
that he tried not even to apologize. Danayan said that this trial was sufficient, denied him his share in the partridges, and accompanied him to the street, where he wished him a pleasant trip and dismissed him with great courtesy. I hear you laughing, Jesse. I, 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 it's, it wasn't what I expected when I read it the first time, um, but I really liked the ending. I, I did not see it coming. Um, and yet it's so short, you know, there's no more pages after this one. What, what, and then, yeah, oh, well, magic, right? Um, but I think it's saying something very, very true about power and stuff, but... Um, I wanna I wanna tell you about the most interesting thing I noticed about it recently, and that was in my last reread before we we decided to record, and that was how everything is in cells and boxes. So, at the very beginning of the story, um, Donion is uh, of sorry, the dean goes to Donion in Toledo and he finds him in a room set apart from his home, which is an interesting way of putting it. And this reminds me of another story by uh, Borges, uh, The Garden of Forking Paths, in which I believe there is just such a room, a sort of a, a garden house uh, designed for meditation, almost like a Chinese um uh, classical scholar's garden, right? And yeah. then they leave that room and go into the house. From the house, they go into a quarters. Uh, then they go to a remote place after the, uh, the, the arranging of the food, an adjoining room, and then they descend under the river. I'm sorry, where do they... I, I don't... Recall them going back to the house. No, okay, so it goes like this. Um, I've I've made some highlights. They found him in a room, reading a book in a room set apart from his home. And then he says, I, I'm going to s set aside your reason for visit until after we eat. He showed him to pleasant quarters and told him that he was very pleased by his arrival. Then the oh, next and you're thinking, you're thinking that those pleasant quarters were back in the house. Yes, they're no, they're certainly not in that uh, in that uh, in a room set apart from his home because that's just a room, right? It, quarters is you know a part I of the house. I, I understand what you're saying. I presumed that the room was part of an outbuilding. I, it, it very well could be. In, in, it, in which case it, they don't go back to the they house. Keep, but, they keep but moving get, from box to box, is what I'm. But saying. that's certainly true. Yep, got that. They yep. descend. Uh, they they go to the pleasant quarters and then arrange the food. Um, there's a lot about food in such a short story as well, which is important, right? And I know yep. at the very beginning that in the very first line, in Santiago, in Santiago there once was a dean who had a consuming desire to learn the art of magic. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> um, and of course that comes right back at the end, which is very Borges. Um, and then he, the Don says, he explains that magic arts can only be performed or, or can be only learned in a remote place, which makes us, of course, think of that reading of the book in a house set apart from one's home. And taking him by the hand led him to an adjoining room, another box, 
on the floor of which was a large iron ring, uh, presuming like a, a of a hatch leading down into the earth, right? Um, he then told the servant to prepare the partridges. They descend so deep under the, uh, that they seem to be passing under the river Tahoe. Um, and then at the the next line, at the foot of the stairway, there was a cell, and then a library, and then a sort of study containing instruments of magic. And then they find themselves being subsequently visited by uh, um, a series of messengers who pass along information, and then they leave, departing with, I should note, um, the uh, magician or the sorcerer's son, um, who is expected to get any of these jobs, right? Um, who is never really mentioned again, other than in the lines, the three went to Santiago, the three went to Tolosa, right? So this pattern of completely removing themselves and passing into like another stage, and yet when we come back to the end of the story, they're no longer in the study, but they find themselves, the Pope found himself in a subterranean cell in Toledo. So it's like they're passing from cell to cell. And I'm not sure what to make of that, other than, of course, that's very Borges in a certain way, isn't it? From <laughs> passing from room to room. And it's almost like from layer to layer and from level to level, right? And as the as the dawn gets greater and greater uh, privileges in the church, um, he doesn't ever keep any of his promises or his main promise. And then we get that that stinger at the end. It's it's very interestingly structured and well structured, and that makes me think, oh yes, this is what this is the Borges that I didn't see in it before, because it wasn't what I was expecting, but it is very Borges if you if you see it structurally, because it's it's different somehow than his other stuff. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, <laughs> I, I understand why you re read it that way, and I think that that's a perfectly fair reading. I I think that to look at the cellness of it uh, and to recognize that what is within may in fact be without does put it of a piece with Borges' usual uh, approach of letting us understand that what we think of as boundaries, what we think of as linearity, referring again to the Garden of Forking Paths, the story you adduced before where there's a Chinese scholar's um, uh, pagoda uh, out in the garden. Uh, this is Borges. I mean, you think you're going down into the into the, the cell, but you're not in the cell. In fact, if you follow the story along as you've just reminded us, they appear to come out of the cell to go to uh, to Tolosa, and then they appear to go from Tolosa to Rome. But all of the the events happen indoors, and what we find out at the end is that they've never gone outdoors. They've been indoors all along. Uh, the indoors where they have been is, well, at least it feels like it, um, in a cell that is under the river Tagus. 
uh, Tajo in Spanish, which is the river that runs through Toledo. Mm -hmm. And so um, that means that the water has been passing by over their heads. Uh, water going by, water in a river always stands among other things. Um, whatever else it's going on, it stands for the passage of time. And so it seems as if uh, at first uh, we're here, time is passing by above us. Mm. But here in the cell in which we are, no time passes. And in fact, that's what turns out to be the case at the end. It seems like we're outside, but in fact, we're inside. So I think I think you've pointed to something quite important about the way the story is structured. I think, in fact, Borges is using it in ways that are typical of Borges mm -hmm. to get us to recognize that, that boundaries and movement and linearity, the whole physical nature of our world is only something that we perceive and that our perceptions are capable of change. And in this case, it is perhaps uh, sorcery, magic. It's magia uh, or magia in uh, in the, the Spanish original, which I uh, have in front of me at the moment, um, that, that makes us recognize this. And maybe magic is nothing but getting people to look at things differently. Mm -hmm. that's, certainly what, that's certainly what Borges, as a magical author, does. Mm -hmm. the, other, the other story that I'm reminded of, especially uh, with your pointing to the river, and, uh, and, and the strange courtesy of the of the sorcerer of of Don Yon is is actually another story by Poe and of course uh, Borges was a big admirer of Poe a champion of and Poe a and a translator of Poe right um, and maybe his favorite story was one called the Cask of Amontillado which has the two two men descending under the house um in in for a completely different reason but it ends with a similar sort of lesson except it's the opposite lesson right the in in that story it's a story of revenge of like discourtesy it starts with discourtesy uh a slight um the two montresor and what was the uh, other his uh, cousin fortunato <laughs> right fortunato Again, the jokes right Right, Montresor claims that his cousin Fortunato had dealt him some slight, mm -hmm. which we, we never, never learned. Exactly, uh, it could have been that uh, he denied him the archbishopric or something. Right? This is this is something. I mean, this is about corruption. This this is a story of corruption. Right? I I reserved that post for my uncle. <laughs> Not like uh, you know, it's it's a it's about nepotism, and Don Ian is seeming to go along with it. He he conjures up this son who disappears at the end of the story, right? Um, they go on these journeys, but the only real people, as far as I can tell in the whole story, are Don Ion, uh, the Don, and the servant girl. All the rest are... Uh, you, you mean know, the dean? Uh, sorry, the dean... Don Yon right. and the servant girl who prepares the partridges. All the rest of them uh, seem to be conjured up for the, the, the magical lesson where they learn apart from apart from the uh, the, the home uh, about magic. And of course the lesson at the end is that 
you if you are wise enough to test your student or something like that, um, he sends him off uh, so ashamed of his ingratitude that, uh, and this is a very curious line, that he tried not even to apologize. Well, what made him so ashamed is that he wasn't really the Pope, that he hadn't been the Archbishop, that he hadn't been the Bishop, right? It's... it's <laughs> I, I thought he was ashamed that his hypocrisy had been revealed. <laughs> the hypocrisy was there all along, right? It's yes, but it, that, yeah, it's that uh, he doesn't have the power of the Pope, right? The fact that he keeps promising and promising, and then uh, when at the very, you know, okay, you're not going to give give me uh, the Archbishopric. How about how about uh, uh, something to eat along the road home? No. You have been a sorcerer in Toledo. It's well known that you are a practitioner, right? One of the things that makes the that that is so beautiful in the structure of the story, one kind of wonders at the beginning, why is it that Danian says, "Put aside the motive of your mm -hmm. visit. First, come and have a meal." Yep. Without any prior transaction, without any sense of obligation. Donnyan instantly, when he greets someone, says, here, have a meal. This is in absolute contrast to um, to the dean mm -hmm. who, you know, now as pope says, I'm not even going to give you food. Right. Um, yep. That contrast is, is wonderful. And it comes from the kinds of things that that you've been talking about. I'm very glad that you're able to read the story as you do and see depths in it uh, as you do. Um, and I, I mean, because it, it suggests that the story can stand entirely on its own, mm -hmm. that one can get into it. The, the reason that I need to say that as a preface is that I do believe that the story is not expected to be read on its own. Hmm. Um, there is a very famous Grim fairy tale. Well, it's, it's not just in Grimm, but it is in Grimm. In the Grimm version, it's known as the fisherman and his wife. In the fisherman and his wife, who are a very poor couple, the fisherman is out and manages to by the shore, and he snags a fish, a big old fish. And the fish pleads with him not to kill oh, him. I know this story, yes. Right? And if he will not kill him, he will grant him any wish that he wants. So he, in fact, frees the fish. He goes home and his wife berates him for not having brought food. They are a poor couple. And he says, well, you know, I did catch a fish, but um, he, he pleaded with me to let him go and to let him have his life. And I gave it to him. So the wife says, well, go and get that fish and tell him, you know, I want, I want, if I, can have, I want food and a nice house. And anyway, the wife keeps sending the, the fisherman back again and again. Her desires are insatiable until eventually she says, tell him to make me the pope. Uh -huh. And of course, of course, you can't have a female pope. Right. So the fisherman goes back to the to the seashore and he calls to the fish again. And he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My wife has asked me to wish that you would to, to make her the pope. And at that point, the fisherman changed the, the 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 fish 
brings them entirely back to their original impoverished condition. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a well-known short story. This is a well-known folktale. Uh, undoubtedly, Borges knew it, among mm-hmm. other things. He was the head of the National Library of Argentina. Um, and he spoke German as well as uh, as English and other languages. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to know the story. Yeah. This is the story of, you know, you go and you get one wish and another wish and another wish. It just keeps escalating. And I think part of what we see here is an enormous contrast between the two. In in the grim tale, it is the violation of what the church wants that causes the downfall the downfall of the requester. In Borges's tale, it is the greed of what the church wants that causes the downfall of the church. And the church as an institution is crucial throughout the story. So, yes, the story, both stories tell us don't be too greedy. Both stories tell us you should stick to the right morals. It's not that the fishermen, by the way, and I shall make you a fisher of men, Jesus says, right, to the disciples. It's not to the fishermen that's the problem. It's the fisherman's wife, right? As in many stories, there is a an anti-feminism in the grim tale. Here we have no women, right? Borges has cleaned that up, but he's reversed it. It's not someone getting greedy to move up from poverty. The guy who's greedy is already a dean, Mm -hmm. which is to say he's already a church official. Mm -hmm. Notice the story begins in Santiago. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go to Spain and you say, I'm interested in going to Santiago, everyone will assume if you say nothing more than Santiago, that you mean Santiago de Compostela, which is the single most famous um, pilgrimage site in Spain. Right. You go there in order to have your to be healed. I have I have visited there. The the steps are worn uh, concave because people go there on their knees and the the font, the, the pillar above the baptismal, the, the holy water font that you get to when you come into the doors has the depressions of human fingers in it because so many people have leaned against it so that they could reach up and mm. touch the water and put it on themselves. It's, it's quite, quite powerful, quite moving. Santiago Compostela is where you go to if you want a miracle. This dean of the church is going from there. Mm-hmm. And where is he going? He's going to Toledo, which was one of the main sites of the Spanish Inquisition, mm-hmm. where people who were religiously heretical were condemned to death. In fact, Toledo is exactly where Poe sets the uh, the action of the pit and the pendulum, where the mm-hmm. Spanish Inquisition is what gets people in trouble. So this is a story that takes the fisherman and his wife and turns it around, right? It's, it's the church that is showing hypocrisy, not some woman, right? Mm-hmm. And it is it is the church that is reduced to its relative penury. So when it says here, about three quarters of the way through, four years later, the Pope died and our Cardinal was elected to the papacy by the others. If you happen to know the story of the fisherman and his wife, as I think many readers would, as I think Borges did, you immediately see how it's going to end. You can see that the guy is going to be Pope, and when he becomes Pope, he is going to lose everything. 
because that's what's supposed to happen in this story. And it does. So that leaves me with a question at the end. Don Eon said that this trial was sufficient, denied him his share in the partridges and accompanied him to the street where he wished him a pleasant trip and dismissed him with great courtesy. Mm-hmm. This I cannot understand. I don't, I don't mean that I can't make up a meaning for it. I can't tell, neither from the English nor the Spanish, if Danian is being ironic. <laughs> I know that the fish and the fisherman and his wife is not being ironic. He's just meeting out justice. But I can't tell here whether the show of courtesy is just what's due a, a dean or because after all, Toledo is where they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are forms to be forms to be observed. Or is he really saying this ain't nothing compared to what you thought you'd get when you were pope? You know, go think about this for a while, you church man. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just I just don't know. I don't know either, um, but I, I, in thinking about the great discourtesy uh, that Fortunato gets, um, <laughs> this is the exact opposite. Instead of, you know, after he fails the the test and doesn't, you know, doesn't mention all the slights and how, you know, all make deep apologies, um, he's bricked up in a wall under the river, you know. Uh, never to be seen again, buried alive. Here, he's escorted out, um, uh, said, you know, with uh, wished a pleasant trip, uh, and he'd been fed with no poison in it, right? And No, and he doesn't feed him. Denied him his share in the partridges. It's true that he doesn't feed him in the end, but he fed him at the beginning. He brought him That's into the house, and it wasn't to get him drunk so that he could wall him up in the basement. It's kind of like um, the wise... Man, uh, the man of learning, the man who is in has a you know a, a garden and a house or pagoda within that garden who is cultivated and um, and wise enough to to learn magic wouldn't be foolish enough to make an enemy. Um, you make an extraordinary sorry. I was going to say you make an extraordinarily good point, especially from the standpoint of. A- a, a linguist like Borges, because ling- Borges wrote this in Spanish, mm-hmm. right? And although the title refers to brujo, you know, which we're translating here as as um, sorcerer, the very first line is, "En Santiago había un deán." In Santiago, there was a dean, Caitania Codicia, who had greed de aprender to learn el arte, the art de la magia, right? He wanted to learn the art of magic, but you know, this is a romance language. This is Borges. Magia is comes from the same root as magus. When we mm-hmm. talk about the journey of the magi, right? The oh, wise man. men. Yep. Exactly. In the Spanish, it is much closer, easier to see that this fellow isn't simply in the black arts as opposed to the white power of, of the church. He, in fact, is a wise man, and you've picked that right out without ever even looking at the Spanish. That's mm-hmm. terrific. Mm-hmm. But there's always more to say. <laughs> <laughs>